Chapter 7. Helm's Deep The sun was already westering as they rode from Edoras, and the light of it was in their eyes, turning all the rolling fields of Rohan into golden glaze. There was a beaten way, northwestern along the foothills of the White Mountains, and it was this that they followed, up and down in the green country, crossing small swift streams and many fords. Far ahead and to their right, the misty mountains loomed, ever darker and taller as they grew as the miles went by. The sun went slowly down before them. Evening came behind. The host rode on. Need drove them. Fearing to come too late, they rode with all the speed they could, pausing seldom. Swift and enduring were the steeds of Rohan, but there were many leagues to go. Forty leagues and more it was as the bird flies from Edoras to the fords of Isen, where they hoped to find the king's men that had held them back the host of Saruman. Night closed about them. At last they halted to make their camp. They had yet ridden some five hours and were far out upon the western plain, but more than half their journey still lay before them. In a great circle under the starry sky and the waxing moon, they now made their bivouac. They lit no fires, for they are uncertain of events, but they set a ring of mounted guards around them, and the scouts rode out far ahead, passing like shadows in the fold of the land. The slow night passed without tidings or alarm. At dawn the horn sounded, and within an hour they took the road again. There were no clouds overhead yet, but a heaviness was in the air. It was hot for the season. The rising sun was hazy, and behind it, following steady in the sky, there was a growing darkness, as of a great storm moving out in the east. And away in the northwest, there seemed to be another darkness brooding about the feet of the misty mountains, a shadow that crept down slowly from the wizard's veil. Gandalf dropped back to where Legolas rode beside Eomer. You have the keen eyes of your kindred, Legolas, and they can tell a sparrow from a finch a league off. Tell me, are you seeing anything yonder towards Isengard? <clears throat> Many miles lie between, said Legolas, gazing thither and shading his eyes with his long hand. I can see a darkness. There are shapes moving in it, great shapes far away on the bank of the river, but what they are I cannot tell. It is not a mist or a cloud that defeats my eyes. There is a veiling shadow that some power lays upon the land, and it marches slowly downstream. It is as if the twilight under endless trees were flowing downwards from the hills. And behind us comes the very storm of Mordor, said Gandalf. It will be a black night. As the second day of their riding drew on, the heaviness in the air increased. In the afternoon, the dark clouds began to overtake them, a sombre canopy with great billowing edges flecked with dazzling light. The sun went down, blood red in the smoking haze. The spears of the riders were tipped with fire as the last shafts of light kindled the steep faces of the peaks of Thurin. They were very near, now very near, they stood on the northernmost arm of the White Mountains three jagged horns staring into the sunset. In the last red glow, men in the vanguard saw a black speck, a horseman riding back towards them. They halted, awaiting him. He came, a weary man with a dinted helm and a cloven shield. Slowly he climbed from his horse and stood there while gasping. At length he spoke. Is Eomir here? he asked. You come at last, but too late, and with too little strength. Things have gone evilly since Theodred fell. We were driven back yesterday over Eisen with great loss. Many perished at the crossing. 
Then at night fresh forces came over the river against our camp. All Isengard must be emptied, and Saruman is armed with the wild hillmen and herdsfolk of Dunland beyond the rivers. They are also loosed upon us. We were overmastered. The shield wall is broken. Urkham Brand of Westfold has drawn off those men we could and gather towards his fastness in Helm's Deep. The rest, the rest are scattered. Where is Eomer? Tell him there is no hope ahead. He should return to Edoras before the wolves of Isengard come here. Theoden had sat silent, hidden from the man's sight behind his guards. Now he urged his horse forward. Come stand before me, Carol, he said. I'm here. The last host of the Elingas has ridden forward. It will not return without facing battle. The man's face lightened with joy and wonder. He drew himself up and he knelt, offering his notched sword to the king. Command me, lord, he cried, and, and pardon me. I thought... You thought I remained in Miss Sildon, bent like an old tree under winter snow. So it was when you rode to war. But a west wind has shaken the bows, said Thadden. Give this man a fresh horse. Let us ride to the help of Erkenbrand. While Thadden was speaking, Gandalf rode a short way ahead, and he sat there alone, gazing north to Isengard and west to the setting sun. Now he came back. Ride, Thadden, he said. Ride to Helm's Deep. Do not go to the fords of Isen, and do not tarry in the plain. I must leave you a while. Shadowfax must bear me now on a swift errand. Turning to Aragorn and Eomer, the men of King's household, he cried, Keep well the Lord of the Mark until I return. Await me at Helm's Gate. Farewell. He spoke a word to Shadowfax, and then like an arrow from the bow of a great like an arrow from the bow, the great horse ran away. Even as they looked he was gone. A flash of silver in the sunset, a wind over the grass, a shadow that had fled and passed from sight. Snowmane snorted and reared, eager to follow, but only a swift bird on the wing could have overtaken him. What does that mean? said one of the guards to Hama. What it means is that Grandolf Graham is in need of haste. Ever he goes and comes unlooked for. Wormtongue, were he here, would not find it hard to explain, said the other. That's true, said Hummer, but for myself, I prefer to wait until I see Gandalf again. But maybe you'll wait long, said the other. The host turned away now from the road to the fords of Isen and bent their course southward. Night fell and still they rode on. The hills drew near, but the tall peaks of Thurin were already dim against the darkening sky. Still some miles away on the far side of the Westford Vale lay a green cone, a great bay in the mountains, out of which the gorge opened into the hills. Men of that land called it Helm's Deep, after a hero of old wars who had made his refuge here. Ever steeper and narrower it wound inwards from the north under the shadow of the Thurin, until the crow-hunted cliffs rose like mighty towers on either side, shutting out the light. At Helm's Gate, before the mouth of the deep, there was a heel of rock that thrust outward by the northern cliff. There upon its spurs stood high walls of ancient stone, and within them was a lofty tower. Men said that in the far-off days the glory of Gondor, the sea kings, had built here its fastness with the hands of giants. The Hornburg, it was called, for a trumpet sound upon the tower echoed in the deep behind, as if armies long forgotten were issuing to war from caves beneath the hills. A wall, too, the men of old had made from the Hornburg to the southern cliff, barring the entrance to the gorge. 
Beneath it, by a wide culvert, the deepening stream passed out. About the feet of Holnrock it wound, and flowed then into a gully, through the midst of a wide green gore, sloping gently from Helmsgate to Helmsdyke. Thence it fell into the deepening cone, and out to the westward vale. There in the Hornberg, at Helmsgate Eckenbrand, master of Westfold on the border of the Mark, now dwelt. As the days darkened with the threat of war, being wise, he had repaired the wall and made the fastness strong. The riders were still in the low valley before the mouth of the comb, when cries and horn blasts were heard from the scouts that went in the front. Out of the darkness, arrows whistled. Swiftly, a scout rode back and reported that wolf riders were aboard in the valley, and that a host of orcs and wild men were hurrying southward from the fords of Eisen, and seemed to be making for Helm's Deep. We've found many of our folk lying slain as they fled lither, said the scout, and we've met scattered companies going this way and that, leaderless. What has become of Erkenbrand doesn't no one seems to know. It is likely that he'll be overtaken ere he can reach Elm's Gate if he's not already perished. Has aught been seen of Gandalf? asked Theoden. Yes, Lord, many have seen an old man in white upon a horse passing hither and thither over the plains like wind in the grass. Some thought he was Saruman. It is said that he went away ere nightfall towards Isengard. Some also say that Wormtang was seen earlier, going northward with a company of orcs. <coughs> it will go ill with Wormtang if Gandalf comes upon them, said Theoden. Nonetheless, I miss now both my counsellors, the old and the new. But in this need we have no better choice than to go on, as Gandalf said, to Helmsgate, whether Urkenbrand is there or not. Is it known how great the host that comes from the north? It is very great, said the scout. He that flies counts every foeman twice. Yet I have spoken to the stout-hearted men, and I do not doubt that the main strength of the enemy is many times as great as what we have here. Then let us be swift, said Eomer. Let us drive through such foes as we have already between us in fastness. There are caves in Helvensteep where hundreds may lie hidden, and secret ways lead thence up onto the hills. <clears throat> Trust not to secret ways, said the king. Saruman has long spied out this land. Still in that place our defence may last long. Come on, let's go. Aragorn and Legolas went now with Amoth to the van. On through the dark and night they rode, ever slower as the darkness deepened and their way climbed southward, higher and higher, in the dim folds about the mountain's feet. They found few of the enemy before them. Here and there they came across roving bands of orcs, but they fled ere the riders could take or slay them. It will not be long, I fear, said Aramir, ere the coming of the king's host will be known to the leaders of our enemies, Saruman, or whatever captain he has sent forth. The rumour of war behind them, now they could hear, borne over the dark, the sound of harsh singing. They had climbed far up into the deep, deepening comb when they looked back. Then they saw torches, countless points of fiery light upon the black fields behind, scattered like red flowers or winding up from the lowlands in long, flickering lines. Here and there a larger blaze leapt up. It is a great host and follows us hard, said Aragorn. They bring fire, said Theoden, and they're burning as they come, rick cotton tree. This was a rich vale and had many homesteads, alas for my folk. Would that day was here that we might ride down upon them like a storm out of the mountain, said Aragorn. It grieves me to fly before them. We need not fly much further, said Amir. 
Not far ahead now lies Helm's Dyke, an ancient trench and rampart scored across the comb, two furlongs below Helm's Gate. There we can turn and give battle. Nay, we are too few to defend the dyke, said Thadden. It is a mile long or more, and the breach in it is wide. At the breach, our rearguard must stand if we are past, said Aemir. There was neither star nor moon when the riders came to the breach in the dyke, where the stream from above passed out, and the road beside it ran down from the Hornburg. The rampart looms suddenly before them, a huge shadow beyond the dark pit. As they rode up, a sentinel challenged them. The Lord of the Mark rides to Helm's Gate, Eomir answered, for I, Eomir, son of Eomir, speak. Oh, this is good tidings beyond hope, said the sentinel. Hasten, the enemy is on your heels. The host passed through the breach and halted at the sloping sword above. They now, sorry, sward above. They now learned to their joy that Erkenbrand had left many men to hold Helm's Gate, and many more had since escaped thither. Maybe we have a thousand fit to fight and fought, said Gambling, an old man, the leader of those who watched the dyke. But most of them have seen too many winters as I have, or too few as my son has here. My son's son. What news of Eckenbrand? Word came yesterday that he's retreating thither, with all that is left of the best riders of Westford. But he's not come. I fear that he won't come now, said Aramir. Our scouts have gained no news of him and the enemy fills all the valley behind him, behind us. I would that he had escaped, said Thadden. He was a mighty man. In him lived again the valour of Helm the Hammerhand. But we cannot await him here. We must draw all our forces now beyond the walls. Are you not well stored? We bring little provision, for we rode forth to open battle, not to a siege. Behind us in the caves of the deep are three parts of the folks of Westfold, old and young, children and women said gambling but there is also a great store of food many beasts in their fodder they've all been gathered there oh that is well said Aemir they are burning or despoiling all that is left in the vale if they have come to Baden for goods at our gate they will pay a high price said gambling the king and his riders passed on before the causeway that rode up the stream they dismounted in a long file they led their horses up the ramp and passed within the gates of Hornburg. There they were welcomed again with joy and renewed hope, for now there were men enough to man both the burg and the barrier wall. Quickly Aramir set his men to readiness. The king and the men of his household were in the Hornburg, and there were also many of Westfold men. But on the deepening wall in his tower and behind it, Aramir arrayed most of the strength that he had, for here the defence seemed more doubtful as if the assault were determined and in great force. The horses were led far up the deep in such guard as could be spared. <clears throat> the deepening wall was twenty feet high, and so thick that four men could walk abreast along the top of it, sheltered by a parapet over which only tall men could see. Here and there were clefts in the stone through which men could shoot. This battlement could be reached by a stair running down from the door on the outer court of the Hornburg. Three flights of steps led also up to the wall from the deep behind, but in front it was smooth, and the great stones of it were set with such skill that no foothold could be found in their joints, and at the top they hung over like a sea-delved cliff. Gimli stood standing and leaning against the breastwork upon the wall. Legolas sat above the parapet, holding his bow, 
and peering out into the gloom. This is more to my liking, said the dwarf, stamping on the stones. Even my heart rises as we draw near the mountains. It's good rock up here. This country has tough bones. I felt them in my feet as we came up from the dike. Give me a year and a hundred of my kin, and I would make this a place that armies would break upon like water. I do not doubt it, said Legolas, but you are a dwarf, and dwarfs are strange folk. I do not like this place, and I shall like it no more by the light of day. But you comfort me, Gimli, and I'm glad to have you standing nigh with your stout legs and your hard axe. I wish it were more. there were more of your kin amongst us. But even more I would give for a hundred good archers and Mirkwood. We shall need them. The Rahim have good bowmen after their fashion, but there are too few here, too few. It is dark for archery, said Gimli. Indeed, it is time for sleep. Sleep! I feel the need of it, as never I thought any dwarf could. Riding is tiring work, yet my axe is restless in my hand. Give me a row of orc necks and room to swing, and all weariness will fall from me. The slow time passed. <clears throat> Far down in the valley, scattered fires still burned. The hosts of Isengard were advancing in silence now. Their torches could be seen winding up the comb in many lines. Suddenly from the dike, yells and screams and fierce battle cries of men broke out. Flaming brands appeared upon the brink and clustered thickly at the breach. Then they scattered and vanished. Men came galloping back over the field and up the ramp to the gate of Hornburg. The rearguard of the Westfolders had been driven in. The enemy is at hand, they yelled. We loosed every arrow that we had and filled the dike with orcs. But this will not hold them long. Already they've been scaling the bank on many points, thick as marching acts. But we have taught them not to carry torches. It was now past midnight. The sky was utterly dark, and the stillness of the heavy air foreboded a storm. Suddenly the clouds were seared by a blinding flash. Branched lightning smote down upon the eastward hills. For a staring moment the watchers on the wall saw all the space between them and the dike lit with a white light. It was boiling and crawling with black shapes, some squat and broad, some tall and grim, with high helms and sable shields. Hundreds and hundreds more were pouring over the dike and through the breach. The dark tide flowed up to the walls from cliff to cliff. Thunder rolled in the valley. Rain came lashing down. Arrows thick as the rain came whistling over the battlements and fell clinking and glancing on the stones. Some found a mark. The assault on Helm's Deep had begun, but no sound or challenge was heard within. No answering arrows came. Their sailing hosts halted, foiled by the silent menace of rock and wall. Ever and again the lightning tore aside the darkness. Then the orcs screamed, waving spear and sword, and shooting a cloud of arrows at any that stood revealed upon the battlements. And the men of the mark, amazed, looked out, as it seemed to them, upon a great field of dark corn tossed by a tempest of war, and every ear glinted with barbed light. Brazen trumpets sounded. The enemy surged forward, and some against the deepening wall, others towards the causeway and the ramp that led up to Hornburg gates. There the hugest orcs were mustered, and the wild men of the Dunlands fells. A moment they hesitated, and then on they came. The lightning flashed and blazoned upon every helm and shield the ghastly hand of Isengard was seen. They reached the summit of the rock. They drove towards the gates. Then at last an answer came. A storm of arrows met them, and a hail of stones. They wavered, broke and fled back, and charged again, broke and charged again, and each time, like the incoming sea, they halted at a higher point. Again trumpets rang and pressed the 
of roaring men leapt forth. They held their great shields above them like a roof, while in their midst they bore two trunks of mighty trees. Behind them the orc archers crowded, sending a hail of darts against the bowmen on the walls. They gained the gates. The trees, swung by strong arms, smote the timbers with rending boom. If any man fell, crushed by stone hurtling from above, two others sprang to take his place. Again and again the great rams swung and crashed. Aomer and Aragorn stood together on the deepening wall. They heard the roar of voices and the thudding of the rams, and then in sudden flash of light they beheld the peril of the gates. Come, said Aragorn, this is our hour when we draw our swords together. Running like fire they sped along the wall and up the steps and passed the outer court upon the rock. As they ran they gathered a handful of stout swordsmen. There was a small postern door that opened in the angle of the burg wall in the west, where the cliff stretched out to meet it. On that side a narrow path ran round towards the great gate, between the wall and the sheer brink of the rock. Together Aomer and Aragorn sprang through the door, their men close behind. The two swords flashed from the sheath at once. "'Guthin!' cried Aomer. "'Guthin for the mark!' "'Andoral!' cried Aragorn. "'Andoral for the Dunedin!' Charging from the side, they hurled themselves upon the wild men. Andoral rose and fell, gleaming with white fire. A shout went up from the wall and tower. Andoral, Andoral goes to war. The blade that was broken shines again. Dismayed, the rammers let fall the trees and turned to fight. But the wall of their shields was broken by a lightning stroke. And then they were swept away, hewn down or cast over the rock into the stony stream below. The orc archers shot wildly and then fled. For a moment, Aomer and Aragorn halted before the gates. The thunder was rumbling in the distance now. The lightning flickered still, far off amongst the mountains and the sea. A keen wind was blowing from the north again. The clouds were torn and drifting, the stars peeped out, and above the hills of the coombe side, the westering moon rode, glimmering yellow in the storm rack. We did not come too soon, said Aragorn, looking at the gates. Their great hinges and iron bars were wrenched and bent. Many of their timbers were cracked. Yet, we cannot stay here beyond the walls to defend them, said Aomer. Look! He pointed to the causeway. Already a great press of orcs and men were gathering again beyond the stream. Arrows whined and skipped on the stones about them. Come, we must get back and see what we can do to pile the stone and beam across the gates within. Come now! They turned and ran. At that moment some dozen orcs that had lain motionless on the slain, among the slain leapt to their feet and came silently and swiftly behind. Two flung themselves to the ground at Aomer's heels, tripped him, and in a moment they were on top of him. But a small dark figure that none had observed sprang out of the shadows and gave a hoarse shout. Baruch Khazad! Khazad Amanu! An axe swung and swept back. Two orcs fell headless, and the rest fled. Aomer struggled to his feet, even as Aragorn ran back to his aid. The postern was closed again. The iron door was barred and piled inside with stones. When all was safe inside, Aomer turned. I thank you, Gimli, son of Gloin. I did not know you were with us in the sortie, but oft the unbidden guest proves to be the best company. How come you came here? I followed you to shake off sleep, said Gimli. But I looked on the hillsmen, and they seemed over-large for me, so I sat beside the stone to see your sword play. I shall not find it easy to repay you, said Aomer. Oh, there may be a chance ere the night is over, laughed the dwarf, but I am content. Till now I have hewn naught but wood since I left Moria. 
Two, said Gimli, patting his axe. He returned to his place on the wall. Two, said Legolas. I have done better, though now I must grope for the spent arrows as mine are gone. Yet I make my tail twenty at least. That is only a few leaves in a forest. The sky was now quickly clearing, and the sinking moon was shining brightly. But the light brought little hope to the riders of the mark. The enemy before them seemed to have grown rather than diminished, and still more were pressing up from the valley than through the breach. The sortie upon the rock gained only a brief respite. The assault on the gates was redoubled. Against the deepening wall the hosts of Isengard rose like a sea. Orcs and hillmen swarmed about its feet from end to end. Ropes were grappling. Hooks were hurled over the parapet faster than men could cut them or fling them back. Hundreds of long ladders were lifted up. Many were cast down in ruin, but many more replaced them, and the orcs sprang up them like apes in the dark forest of the south. Before the wall's foot, the dead and broken were piled like shingle in a storm. Ever higher rose the hideous mounds, and still the enemy came on. The men of Rohan grew weary. All their arrows were spent, and every shaft was shot. Their swords were notched, and their shields were riven. Three times Aragorn and Eomor rallied them, and three times Underell flamed in a desperate charge that drove the enemy from the wall. Then a clamour arose from the deep behind. Orcs had crept like rats through the culvert through which the stream flowed out. There they had gathered in the shadow of the cliffs, until the assault above was the hottest. Nearly all the men of the defence had rushed to the wall's top. Then they sprang out. Already some had passed into the jaws of the deep and among the horses, fighting with the guards. Down from the wall leapt Gimli with a fierce cry that echoed in the cliffs. Kazard! Kazard! He soon had work enough. Hey, oi! he shouted. The orcs behind the wall. Oh, hey, come on, Legolas! They're enough for both of us! Kazard Amanu! Gambling, the old looked down from the Hornborg, hearing the great voice of the dwarf amongst all the tumult. The orcs are in the deep, he cried. Helm! Helm! Forth! Helmenglass! He shouted and leapt down the stair from the rock with many of the men of Westfold at his back. Their onset was fierce and sudden, and the orcs gave way before them. Ere long they were hemmed in the narrows of the gorge, and all were slain or driven shrieking to the chasm of the deep <clears throat> to fall before the guardians of the hidden caves. Twenty-one! cried Gimli. He hewed a two-handed stroke and laid the last orc before his feet. Now my count passed Master Legolas again. We must stop this rat hole, said Gambling. Dwarfs are said to be cunning folk with stone. Lend us your aid, master. Oh, we do not shape stone with battle axe, nor with our fingernails, said Gimli, but I will help as I may. They gathered such small boulders and broken stones as they could find to hand, and under Gimli's direction the Westfold men blocked up the inner end of the culvert, until only a narrow outlet remained. Then the deepening stream, swollen by the rain, churned and fretted in its choked path, and spread slowly in cold pools from cliff to cliff. It'll be drier above, said Gimli. Come gambling, let us see how things go to the wall. He climbed up and found Legolas behind Aragon and Aramir. The elf was wetting his long knife. Long knife. There was for a while a lull in the assault, since the attempt to break in through the culvert had been foiled. Twenty-one, said Gimli. Oh, good, said Legolas. But my count is now two dozen. It has been knife work up here. 